Good morning. Oh, thanks, and thanks for letting me come up here. Thank you for asking. Um, I want to give a little shout out to my nephew, Trevor McDaniel. You have inspired me in ways beyond your wildest imaginations. Thank you. But I have one who inspires me more. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, asking that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would propel us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. I remember sitting in these seats many years ago, about 30 years ago, countless chapels, countless chapel speakers, and to my shame, I only remember a handful of them. One of them was, I think, my senior year. One of the professors got up and he played a song for us. And from that song, he then shared what the Lord had put on his heart to share with us. It was memorable to me, and perhaps something like that could be memorable for you. So I have a song for you, and this song is particular to me. It is what uh, my wife and I, it's kind of our song. It's called Chasing Cars. We have six kids. The idea of just lying still and forgetting about the world is really appetizing at times. But unlike our professor, I actually have a video that you can watch. Now as a video, people you don't know. It's kind of the pinnacle of my coaching career in soccer. After playing here, I went on and, and coached in Alabama. And it was about six years ago, we went to the state championship. We lost, but it was a great ride. And I actually got to coach my oldest son through that adventure. So please um, hear the song that actually, again, it's, it is special to us. This is me singing. I got to sing it in a studio that a friend of mine had and produced it, gave it to my wife as a Christmas gift. So listen to a song from a voice that you may or may not like, a song that you may or may not care about, and people you don't know. So by all means, enjoy the video. We'll do it all Everything On our own We don't need Anything Or If I lay here If I just lay here Would you lie with me And just forget the world I don't quite know How to say how I feel
those three words are said too much. They're not enough. If I lay here, if I just lay here, would you lie with me and just forget the world? Forget what we're told before we get too old. Show me a garden that's bursting into life. Let's waste time chasing cars around our heads. I need your grace to remind me to find my own If I lay here If I just lay here Would you lie with me and just forget the world Forget what we're told Before we If I just lay here Maggie lie with me And just forget the world So, after the professor got up and played the song, it was, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? He made this statement. He said, axiology presupposes metaphysics. Let me say that again. Axiology presupposes metaphysics. It's been 30 years, and to this day, I still have no idea what that phrase really means. <laughs> but I want to. It's not because he didn't do a good job explaining it. It's because my brain doesn't work that way. I want to know what those terms are and how they relate to each other. I wanted to sit at the smart people table after chapel and talk about these big ideas and the ideologies that are flowing and what the chapel speaker just spoke. 
But my brain didn't work that way. I wanted to be approved of, though, by a certain group of people. To this day, that hasn't changed. (laughs) Unfortunately, I find that my heart, although a Christian, still manufactures idols. The one that seems to come up the most in my life is the idol of worshiping the approval of other people. You see, even as I showed that video in the song, in my mind, I'm thinking, what do you all think about me? Did you think that I had a good enough singing voice? Was the video okay? Some of you all may be thinking, yeah, we went to the state championship too, but we did what we like to call win. Some of you all may be thinking, well, that's pretty arrogant. You came to chapel to talk to us about yourself. I have a better use of my time. I'm even thinking there may be professors, other people listening, going, you're a preacher. How come you didn't start with the Scripture? Why aren't you opening up the Bible? I didn't even bring a Bible up here. Are you just wasting our time? Are you going to exegete the Scriptures for us? My mind, my emotions, and my will are all over the place even as I speak to you right now, wondering what are people thinking about me. The idol of the approval of others is a horrible taskmaster. I hate it about myself. I don't want to be this way. Perhaps some of you are sitting there thinking, I know exactly what you mean. And others may be thinking, I have no clue of what you're talking about. But perhaps there are other idols. Maybe it's success. You can't stand to make a bad grade, anything like an A. You may find yourself just cheating just a little bit because your reputation, who you think you are as a student, can't suffer making below an A+. Maybe your idol is reputation, maybe it's success, maybe it's security, maybe it's pleasure. There are infinite idols, I promise you, and they come at an alarming rate even for Christians. So what are we going to do about that? The Apostle John, who was known as the disciple whom Jesus loved, He had several different monikers in Scripture. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was also a son of Zebedee along with his brother James. He was known as a son of thunder. He, along with James, secretly asked Jesus, hey, whenever you get into your kingdom, can we kind of have a gentleman's agreement that I can sit on your left hand and my brother on the right hand? Can we have that special relationship to which they were chastised? There was another time where they were in a town where the town rejected Jesus And James and John said, hey, uh, Jesus, if you'd like, we can call fire down from heaven for you. I mean, would that be okay? We've got that club in our bag. Can we pull that off for you? To which they were rebuked for that as well. But by the time John was writing the letters that he wrote that are recorded in the New Testament, he had grown a lot. He had, had matured in Christ as the Holy Spirit grew him up. So in 1 John... John is writing to Christians. He's writing to the church, and he says these things, that God in Jesus Christ is life, that God is light, and that God is love. He has this beautiful, very simple, profound statement and and doctrinal statements, a, a wonderful waltz, if you will, through loving God and loving neighbors. If you don't love your neighbor, then can you really say that you love God? It's masterful work. And the way he ends this amazing flowing book is with this statement. My dear children, keep yourselves from idols. 
To me, that's like a smooth ride that comes to a screeching halt. It's as if we're reading a Revolutionary War letter from a soldier on the battlefield that says, my dearest Ellen Margaret, although the battle lines are rough, I think of your emerald eyes and it takes the fear away from me. Look both ways before you cross the street. Wait, what? There's no sincerely, there's no love, there's no anything. That's the way that it comes across to me in 1 John. It's just, and it stops. What is it that John sees that says, this is how I need to end this letter? I need to stop by saying, children, keep yourselves from idols. Because John knows something about the human heart, that idols are the greatest threat to us actually loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So when he says, keep yourselves from idols, to me, it begs the question, how do you do that? How do you keep yourselves from idols? I propose that it is what Thomas, uh, I almost call him Tom Chalmers, you've heard of him, old Tom. Thomas Chalmers wrote a, a book called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. We need an expulsive power of a new affection, something that so profoundly grips our heart, that grabs the affection of our very core, that's more beautiful than the idols that we serve. I need something in my life that's going to overwhelm my heart so that I'm not propelled by what you think about me. The answer to that, what is that new affection? Even for Christians, maybe it's not brand new, it may be a renewed affection, an ever-growing affection, and I propose that it is this. It is the gospel that is Jesus Christ. That new affection is the gospel. I'll ask it to you this way. What is the gospel? Now, I know you got masks, you're probably not supposed to be shouting things, so I will answer how most people in our culture respond with what is the gospel. The gospel is this, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and that is 100% true. It is 100% accurate. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but I want to push it a little bit further and ask you this. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 records what is arguably Jesus' first words in his earthly ministry. Jesus comes onto the scene. This is year one of about a three-year ministry. Jesus comes on the scene, and here are his first words. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus hadn't died for anyone's sins at that point in time, so what gospel is he talking about? What gospel is Jesus talking about that didn't involve him dying on the cross for anyone's sins? I propose to you that the gospel, a fully orbed gospel, would take far too long to articulate here during this chapel time. But I will try and give you just pieces of it, one of which is that Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross for sinners like us. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, if if I could use it in today's language or give an illustration, it's going to be sooner rather than later whenever we're going to get a message from across the Atlantic Ocean that says the queen has died, the king has ascended the throne, long live the king. When Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel, this was Jesus' declaration that the king had come and he was setting up shop here. 
Is this not what he says in his Sermon on the Mount? In the middle of it, he teaches his disciples, us, how to pray. He says, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. As Dr. Richard Pratt says, the, the standard is heaven, but the destination is earth. The good news is that King Jesus has come and he's setting up shop here on earth. And whether you think it's inching forward or sprinting forward, it, it doesn't matter. What, it, what matters is his kingdom has come and is growing to fill the whole planet. That is good news, that God's heavenly realm, you know, where there is peace, where there is love, where there is joy, where only God's justice and his holiness and his mercy and his grace and his love reign, where that wins the day, where that wins every moment, that's happening here on earth, even now, and has been since the King has come. But there's even more good news. <laughs> if you've listened to Dr. Fickert and Dr. Corbett at all in your time here, you know that there are broken relationships. We have broken relationships with God. We have broken relationships with one another, broken relationships with our own psychology, and broken relationships with all of, of creation. You see, what the king came to do in setting up God's reign was he came to reconcile all things. Paul writes to the church in Colossa, chapter 120, he says that God is reconciling to himself all things by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the cross of Jesus Christ. All things, whether in heaven or on earth, God is reconciling all things. Governments, economies, environments, dysfunctional marriages, broken relationships between parents and children, all things reconciling, all four of those broken relationships, the king came to make those things right, and we get to experience that even here and now. But wait, there's even more. Because it's not just that we get to experience these things. Jesus, who by no means needs our help, has still called us to come alongside him and to pull off his mission. Jesus says to be ambassadors for him. Paul, again, writes to the church in Corinth, and he says this, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors of Christ. That's what our call is. We get to come alongside Jesus and help, help reconcile all things to God the Father because of Jesus Christ's reconciling work on the cross. That's why you're here to study how to be a botanist. That's why you're here to study how to proclaim the gospel through the scriptures. That's why you're here to learn how to be a zoologist, a doctor, a teacher, a, a swimming instructor, also known as a lifeguard, because you're keeping people from drowning. That's the way we're supposed to work. You're supposed to not let people die. This is why you become a dog trainer, is to help dogs and humans get along the way they're supposed to. You are doing reconciling work. It's the call you have. To me, that's very good news. Not only has the king come and set up shop, not only has he reconciled sinners like us and all things and is doing so, he's also enlisted us to help fulfill his mission so that it becomes our desire, our passion to make sure God's name is hallowed, his kingdom is coming, and his will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So it's at this point in time that I get worked up talking about this guy. And I realize I'm not thinking about what you all think about me. You see, the affection of Jesus, this, this glorious Jesus, 
it flushes out those idols. It flushes out my tendency to navel gaze and look at myself and say, woe is me, I'm horrible, I've not done this. And it gives me purpose. It gives you purpose. I can repent, like Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent for my heart that's producing an idol. But believe the good news. So what do we do? How do we keep ourselves from producing idols? It is to proclaim the good news that is Jesus. It is the gospel that is Jesus. And when we can take our eyes off of ourselves, eyes off of one another and our approval of one another, and we can fix our eyes firmly on Jesus, as the scriptures say, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, at the throne of God. This is amazing stuff. Chokes me up a little bit. Brothers and sisters, I implore you, leave this building and believe the gospel. You have been called by Christ Jesus to be agents of reconciliation in a world that desperately needs it. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, your idols become strangely dim and pass away and when you go out, you have a message to proclaim. And the message that people desperately need to hear is this. The king has come. He has ascended his throne. Long live the king. King Jesus, we pray to you. And we thank you for your kindness and your mercy in reconciling us to yourself that we have peace with the Father because of what you've done. And now may we so embrace it. We, may we see you as so majestic that we can't help but go out and talk to other people about the amazingness of who you are and what you've done. Jesus, you are worthy for us to stop our normal pattern in the middle of the day to gather together, to sing about you, to pray to you, and to talk about you, to be inspired by you, to be empowered by your Spirit. Would you now send us to go do your bidding, and may we do so with happy hearts and sweet spirits. For the sake of Christ, our risen and reigning King, we pray. Amen.